Christmas just wouldn't be the same without its supporting cast of animals. Whether it's reindeer, the animals of the nativity scene, or the dove that symbolizes peace. Nowadays, and especially in America, animals don't play quite as heavily into our Christmas celebration as they did long ago and far away. For the average household, the connection between Christmas and animals usually doesn't extend much beyond getting a gift for the family pet. But in Norway, for example, it's traditional to leave out a sheaf of grain on Christmas morning for the birds. In England, cattle were often wassailed and anointed with wine. And there are plenty of other myths, legends, superstitions, and customs all having to do with Christmas and various furry, feathered, and scaly friends. And unfortunately, not all of those customs were so pleasant for the animals involved. Maybe it's because so many of our Christmas traditions are holdovers from earlier midwinter festivals which coincided with animal slaughter and even sacrifice. One example was the traditional hunting of the wren. In parts of France, England, Ireland, and Wales, and either on Christmas Day or St. Stephen's Day, the day after Christmas, those small birds known as wrens were hunted. And groups of boys known as wren boys would parade around with the dead birds hoping to receive gratuities. Christmas hunts, also sometimes known as side hunts, also became forms of competition and would continue well into the modern day. Originally, it was a way of producing fare for the holiday meal. But as you say, it had become definitely a competition. That's Jeff LeBaron. My name is Jeff LeBaron. He's with the National Audubon Society, which began over 100 years ago in response to overhunting of certain bird species. The key thing that started the Audubon movement was the overharvesting of colonial nesting water birds, herons specifically, for the millinery trade. It was a very popular thing for ladies' hats and ladies' you know, pins and dresses and everything to have feathers or wings or entire birds actually on them that were harvested from mostly seabird and heronry colonies. And one of the major figures in the Audubon movement was a man named Frank Chapman, who initiated a new practice with birds at Christmas time, one that no doubt the birds liked more and which continues to this very day. Frank Chapman was at the American Museum of Natural History. He is quite a well-known ornithologist. There was a growing conservation awareness around, you know, in the late 1800s and early 1900s. There was just this awareness that wildlife should be conserved, not harvested, at least over-harvested. So he proposed to do a Christmas bird. He then called it Christmas bird census rather than uh, a Christmas bird hunt. Jeff LeBaron has been the director of the Christmas Bird Count, or CBC, since 1987. Now, before we go any further, it's important to point out that the CBC bears little connection with Christmas itself. It began in response to a Christmas tradition, if you want to call it that, and previously took place on Christmas Day, though it no longer does in most cases. Interestingly, you know, initially they were all done on Christmas Day, and very, very few counts now are actually done on, on Christmas Day itself. We've expanded it so that it's a 23-day it's period. Uh, sort of standard on December 25th. You might be wondering, because I know I was, just how all of this works. Each CBC, as it's set up now, is a 15-mile diameter circle, a non-overlapping circle with any other Christmas bird camp. Um, and what happens is a group of people, sort of, um, there's, a, there's a compiler who's the de designated organizer of, of each, each circle, um, and they sort of marshal their forces into getting the best coverage possible in the geographic area that's contained within that 15-mile diameter circle. You're, you're telling the birds as you move around. So, so you, you, know, you start to hear a flock of chickadees or something. And then so you stop and you look and you try to figure out how many chickadees there are and you know, what else are in with the chickadees. 
and those kinds of things. And then maybe a flock of geese flies over. So then you look at, you know, you count as best you can the number of geese. And that's just the way it goes during the day. And it's it's up, you know, some people call it a tally rally. And what they do is it, it's it's a it's a fun gathering of you know where everybody gets to hear everything that everybody else saw, um, and they come up with the final tally of the birds, or at least begin to come up with the final tally of the birds that were seen and heard during the day. And then eventually the compiler will enter all those data once they're complete completed their compilation and gotten all their results in. And those tally rallies aren't necessarily about seeing who counted the most birds. In fact, often it's just the opposite. One of the things that people celebrate is to have not only the best, but the worst conditions. <laughs> and not only the most, but the least number of birds. We had one count, um, Prudhoe Bay, Alaska, that was done for 18 years. And all they ever tallied up there was one species of bird, the common ravens. The thing, the, the really exciting thing about doing a count like that is there are other species of birds up there. So one year they could have doubled the list by getting two species of birds. They never did while they were running the count. And while many of those who participate are experienced birders or ornithologists, many others are people just like you and me who have an interest in birds and nature and taking part in important work. You're contributing to what we call community science data set, collecting data that would be impossible for a researcher who wanted to, to try to track what's happening with, with species over time to actually go out and collect or pay people to collect all that data. And um, it's become one of the two most crucial or only really databases available for understanding what's happening with birds across the hemisphere and especially in North America. But also um, what we can look at is we can document how birds have been changing their, shifting their ranges actually in the last, especially in the last 50 to 60 years. We can document them and how much they are shifting their ranges as the early winter climate moderates. And even if you're not especially interested in ornithology, if nothing else, it's a fun way to bring back a little more of that bygone connection with animals during the Christmas season. It's kind of a new experience to see all these other kind of neat things that are out there in the woods around at a time of year when people oftentimes think there isn't much there. So then, even though the Christmas bird count isn't actually about Christmas, not officially, that doesn't mean it can't be. It can become an important holiday tradition for people because not only is it a way of getting out and seeing birds, but it reconnects you with an area where you go every year. In addition, not only am I seeing the birds in the areas that I like, but I'm also connecting with my friends that I may not get to see except when I go to do a Christmas bird count. That notion of yearly tradition, of homecomings and returnings of one kind or another, are tightly woven into how we think about and observe Christmas. That's something Jeff would know about, because even though he now makes his home in western Massachusetts... I traditionally still try to go down and do the two counts that I, do in, that I started doing when I was in graduate school in Rhode Island 40 years ago. So call it what you will, a non-Christmas tradition, Christmas-adjacent, or a full-on part of the Christmas season, and a return to the connection between Christmas and animals. If that interests you, the first step is to get involved. We welcome anyone who's interested in birds and wants to try to count. What I would say is if any for anybody that wants to get involved with the Christmas Bird Count, go to the Christmas Bird Count website. It's christmasbirdcount.org. And um, there's a Get Involved link, and we have a map of all the expected active circles in a given season. It is important for people to contact 
the compiler in advance of the count to volunteer their services. Now, speaking of Massachusetts, when I was growing up there, one of the most spectacular natural signs that the Christmas season had arrived was the sight of those brightly colored cardinals perched on a snow-capped branch of the birch trees in our backyard. I wonder what kind of birds you see around Christmas time where you live. You can always let me know by dropping a line at christmaspasspodcast at gmail.com or connect on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. This episode is arriving around the end of February, and some of us are still dealing with those post-Christmas blahs or even just the winter blahs. And of course, all of that is compounded by the fact that we're still not out of the woods yet with the pandemic. So let's keep the Christmas Past family strong and connected in the months to come. I'd like to thank Jeff LeBaron, and as always, I'd like to thank you for listening. Check out the show notes to this episode for links for everything that was mentioned. You can find them right on the app you're using to listen right now in most cases, or you can come over to christmaspast.media. And hey, if you're feeling the Christmas spirit, why not help more people discover this show? It's as easy as telling a friend about it or leaving a review on Apple Podcasts. These are quick and simple ways to show your support, and they really do make a difference. And if you do leave a review, I'll even send you a Christmas Past sticker, and a handwritten Christmas card is my way of saying thanks. I sent one off just this morning to Alabama, and maybe the next one I send will be to you. I'll be back in just a few weeks with another episode, and until we meet again, let me remind you as always that Christmas Past is produced in wonderful Willow Glen, California, by yours truly, Brian Earle. Until next time, stay safe and healthy, look out for one another, and may your days be merry and bright.